0: Back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of the show, Sal Marinello. And this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. We're in episode 193 right now for the network, so we're closing in on that 200 mark um, and almost a year's worth of work here. Um, and before I talk to our audience, I just want to welcome Sal back to the show, Sal. Thanks for coming in on a shortened week here, Memorial Day week. Listenership, you know, has been going good, but obviously this is always a, an odd week for people work wise, and and uh, you know, I guess. Podcast listening wise.
1: Yeah, well, it's good to be here. And I'm always ready, Dave. You just have to make the call and I'll be there.
0: Yeah. So uh, before we get going, though, just that quick message to our audience there over 18,300 subscribers as of this morning. Make sure we download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We got to battle the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball. We keep providing you great content every week, like we do, do here on the Hot Corner. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher is our mode of streaming. And then hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Obviously, you can see Coach Sal on Instagram. He does a lot of his work there. Facebook, I answer one question every morning. I got one on analytics this morning, so I encourage everybody to read that and comment back. We're in 72 countries, grassroots MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ. And as promised with this show and all of our shows, our audience holds us accountable. They remind me every time. But I will remind them, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths right now about baseball and about sports in general and life this program, like all of our others, just has no time for some of the comfortable lies that are being pushed out there. So with that, Sal, welcome back to your show. And I know we were going to start, uh, we've got a lot of, we've got some mailbag questions for you today, but um, I know we were chatting before the show about this uh, American Heart Association diet and some of the misnomers about it. Uh,
1: well, when- yeah, Dave, there's probably not a better example of how we've been gaslighted and how our public health apparatus for lack of a better term has totally let us down and it's not about what's best for us. It's about an agenda. I've been speaking in terms like that for well before we had this podcast and you know, when I started my own little website and would do posts and did my own podcasts that I just would send out through my social media there, we have what's really an agenda driven Health and fitness and wellness apparatus here in in not only in the United States but I'm, I'm going to specifically we're the worst we're the worst about what our public health institutions are doing for us. So, the American Heart Association has been involved with trying to come up with a solution to heart disease since the '40s, and really went into overdrive in the 50s with President Eisenhower's heart attack. And a lot of what they did was, you know, early on in the research stage, the science was not well developed. But even back then, they knew that fat wasn't the culprit and sugar was the likely culprit. There was more than enough information out there and research that had been done. But it just wasn't reflected in the message that got out to us. And over the, you know, the 20 years that started with Eisenhower in the mid-50s to the mid-70s, it got worse to the point of the low-fat diet being pushed on us, which has really led to the vast majority of problems that we have health-wise. The obesity problem, the heart disease problem has gotten worse since then. So uh, this American Heart Association, came out with their new recommendation, with their new diet, and, and they consider it the gold standard for fighting heart disease, but in a nutshell, what what I will say, Dave, and then we can kind of go back and forth on this, is there's a woman named Nina Teicholz, I think that's how you pronounce her name, it might be Teicholz, it's T-E-I-C-H-O-L-Z, she wrote one of the must-read books in the field called The Big Fat Surprise, where she, it was the first time I read such a well-researched book that put to rest the myth that the no fat diet was well researched and was effective. And what made it interesting, Dave, is she's not a she doesn't have an agenda. She was a science writer and was legitimately looking to to chronicle this path of this low fat diet. And what she found was the exact opposite. So she has a series of outlets, social media, Substack, and I follow her. And she's also on the federal government's food recommendations. So she's very good. She's research-based. Again, she comes at this, and if you read her book, and she has the track record of being a science writer, not someone with an agenda. But basically what she's found is that this American Heart Association diet doesn't live up with the recommendations they make, don't live up to the standards that they set for what kind of data and what kind of studies is needed before they can go out and promote a certain diet.
0: So they're, they're, they pumped out. If I'm, I don't want to paraphrase it the wrong way, but they, they pumped out an agenda without having the research behind it. Is that kind of what she's saying?
1: Yes. The, the, the main, the main thrust of the diet, which is the, which is what we've heard. And what I've railed against is that, Lean meat, no red meat, limited red meat. And that is really when you look at their... So so the American Heart Association has a chart that they use to determine the strength of the research in relationship to the recommendations. So it goes from a one... To a, a, a two, and there's different. There's different uh, uh, classes for this. The strength of the recommendations they make. They make a class one is is strong. Uh, there's a strong benefit to, to to alleviate the risk. And class two, <clears throat> there's moderate benefits. And what they found is the main thrust of their diet is based on one real study, which is really. An eye opener, even for someone like myself who's very skeptical and cynical, to find that they're making dietary uh, recommendations based on really not very good data is is shocking, even to me.
0: Well, yeah, it's, 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 I'm glad a lady like this got this checked out, and that's the biggest part of it. They they throw it out there with the brand of American Heart Association, and people don't question because they have that, I guess, quote unquote, established name. With it, And it's been unfortunate because, would you say, back when Eisenhower, so you're talking, uh, it's quite a long time this has gone without being questioned.
1: And, and Dave, there's a a doctor I've mentioned. He has a very low social media profile. He has a website, but he's not on the traditional social media outlets. He was actually banned from Wikipedia. His name is Dr. Malcolm Kendrick. He is a Scottish physician and researcher. And he had talked about many of these same things in his books and his posts. And one of the things he talked about was the complete bed rest that they used to recommend in the 50s and actually at Eisenhower's time, the bed rest that came, and it's a lengthy bed rest after heart attack and now after heart attacks and what we know now about inactivity following these heart attacks likely killed thousands and thousands of people because of the mechanisms at work that can really make you worse when you are sedentary, especially after a heart attack and uh, with the clotting and other issues that revolve around that. And he does a really good job of, of providing the research that backs up his claim. And it's pretty stark when you look at the heart attacks that were occurring, how many people were dying and the treatments that were used, especially this bed rest, and how that's really one of the main or one of the best examples of how what people thought was the state of the state as far as science turns out to be the exact opposite.
0: How does it go unchecked for so long,
1: though? Because there's powerful forces that are at work to keep this data in the mindsets of everybody. We we again, just look at this diet, Dave. Um they the they American Health Association without any explanation has totally removed the words low fat from their website. So you have something that was the cornerstone of their program for 50 plus years just disappears and without an explanation and yet they still tell you you're better off eating low-fat potato chips over the regular versions of potato chips, which seems to indicate you'd get a low-fat diet, or they'd be pushing a low-fat diet, but they no longer have that in their verbiage or in their texts of explaining what you should do. And they're still pushing the the low-fat dairy, And the lean meat angle, which we know that is not the culprit. They also stopped talking about the cap, the daily amount you should get of cholesterol, but they don't include that you can now eat eggs. They still don't recommend eating eggs. So there's a lot of weirdness going on here. And again, Dave, it goes back to our point. You can't take any of these organizations at face value. You have to do your own research.
0: Yeah. And I remember not so long ago, maybe. A year or two back, they were trying to push that eggs were carcinogens, that they were cancer causing, and uh even go to that that extreme. Is so low low fat is obviously a misnomer. Is is organic in that same category? Is that the new low fat?
1: No, I don't know. Organic is again one of those marketing terms like superfood. When you look at where most of this organic food comes from, a lot of this food organic food comes from China that doesn't exactly have the most stringent guidelines. You can't trust any of that. Again, there's more than enough books out there that talk about the truth of organic farming. I've read some of them. I I can't recall them off the top of my head. I'll find some of those books to recommend for the next show. But that's again, one of the big scams in, in our nutritional scheme of things. There's, there's, very limited, if any, benefit that you can prove
0: from organic farming. So some of, some of the people challenging this, you mentioned the the one doctor um, who I've looked up based on your recommendation as well. Are there any other modes or mediums that our audience can turn to when they're hit with you know I don't want to call it, I guess it's propaganda, right? It's it's unchecked information. I but think if
1: you a great way to do it, Dave, is if you were to go on Twitter. And look up Nina's social media account on Twitter and see who kind of her colleagues are. There is Asim Malhotra who started out. I knew him from being a, 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 a anti-fat, anti-low-fat proponent, and he's now been one of the leading and uh, leading forces of talking about how we were bamboozled with the vaccine and how the science and the statistics show the opposite to what we've been told about what these vaccines were supposed to do. Uh, He's another very good source. I I think, again, you have to find the people that, that resonate with you. And as I mentioned earlier, since I read her book and her explanation of how she and how and why she wrote the book, Nina Teichholz is someone that I follow and use as a guideline and as a foil to, to counter what I'm reading otherwise. Uh, there, again, Dave, it's almost to the point of absurdity where you don't even know you, to the two, the two cornerstones or touchstones, if that's the right term for the dietary advice that was promoted by both the American Heart Association and the federal government was low fat and low cholesterol intake. And, studies that have been done that have shown there's insufficient evidence to tell people to reduce their cholesterol intake as a way of fighting heart disease. So those things are now gone. They've been memory hold there. It's like an Orwellian situation. We were told this, this was the major points of their diet. And now they're just gone. And yet they still, again, don't include eggs in their diet, which are probably one of the healthiest things we can eat.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's great information. I encourage our audience to follow your instruction and, and reach out, reach out uh, or not reach out, look up Nina on Twitter or social media. And I guess that, that's the best way to do it. Just to see who's surrounding her and start doing your research that way. And always question. I mean, it's, uh, I think Sal brings up great points every week and it provokes thought. And even if you don't believe him or us on face value, do your own research. I mean, we're not asking you to blindly follow us. That would be ironic since we're challenging you to not blindly follow some of the the uh, information that's out there. So, and
1: well, not to beat a dead horse, but out of... So let's real quick, you could run through what their recommendations are. Eat a variety of fruits and vegetables, which by the way, is the only one that has a strong correlation to research that it will uh, actually mitigate against heart disease. That's the only recommendation. The rest of these recommendations don't really have the science behind it. Whole grain products, which are, again, can cause as many problems as they can supposedly alleviate. Healthy sources of protein, mostly plants. Again, totally, I shouldn't say totally, not supported by strong research. Okay, I don't want to be hyperbolic and be guilty of the same thing we're talking about other people doing. You know, when you're making these re, uh recommendations and they're not supported by strong science, you're saying this is the way it's supposed to be. It's it's not supported by strong science. Again, they're tech they're talking about low-fat or non-fat dairy. So right there they're counteracting or or counter if that's even a word, what the, the whole message has been. They've taken low-fat recommendation out, and yet in these individual categories, they're still talking about that and, and referring to that. Liquid, non-tropical vegetable oils. Vegetable oils have a whole, again, there's, look stuff up about vegetable oil. Obviously, minimally processed foods is a good idea. Minimum intake of added sugar. Fruits prepared with little or no salt. We could do another show on the bamboozle with salt. If, if there is a percentage of the population that should be wary of salt, it is minuscule. It's limited to those who have already had incidents and who are or have been shown to have a sensitivity to salt or a reaction to the salt. So that, again, is another one that's thrown out there. And I would say five out of these, four or five out of these, you'll hear people talk about every day with no clue that they're really not based in evidence.
0: Yeah. You, you hit on a couple of uh, the questions from the mailbag today. Um, just you didn't you didn't go through them, but you hit on some topics, which is good. That means our audience and us are in sync a little bit. So um, you you want to move to the mailbag? You got a number. Well,
1: yes, yeah, I'm ready.
0: So, and these have not been prepared. So our audience knows I just... Threw it up at Sal before we got a, a ton in in preparation for the shows this week, and um, he agreed to impromptu answer some of them for our audience today. So these, uh, the ones that I picked out, are ones that have been asked uh, a lot. So obviously, we we'll have volume out there. But uh, and if there's ones that maybe you think you need more time on and want to answer on a later show with more research, just I'll give you the right to say I want to pass on that one and come back, and we'll we'll certainly do that. So um, we'll hit on the one that you just touched on. Uh, uh, Person asked, Sal, two, two part. Is sugar bad for you and is salt bad for you?
1: So we're speaking in absolutes. So the answer to those questions are no. There are, things are, and I will turn that around. I know you're not supposed to answer a question with a question, but you could take something that many people would consider bad for you. And if you have it once in a blue moon, it's not bad for you. The problem is we've got into this, we've been at this stage for a while where people moralize about food. It's the virtue signaling of the nutritional set where you'll get people, again, use these terms, good, bad, I'm being good today, I was bad today, and they demonize and moralize about the food. If you you have a cup of coffee, even two cups of coffee during your day, and you like a little sugar in it, there, you're not going to have any harm from that. If if you certainly salt anything abused is going to be quote bad for you. But if you do it the way or use them use these items or eat these items the way they're supposed to be ideally per, consumed, you're 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 fine.
0: Yeah, and that's I mean I the the question I, I get how they asked and it was kind of general what and you you tell So here
1: all right let's not to cut you up, but is drinking a whole bottle of Gatorade bad for you well it's not good for you see here's the difference you we've been sold a bill of goods where something has been sold as having a certain set of benefits that are totally not true and we've been again gaslit bamboozled into thinking that your kid has to go out even when it's hot out and they need to have that bottle of Gatorade or the other kind of sports drink with them, and every five minutes they need to take a sip of it. That's not true. So there, there's a case. Is sugar bad for you? If you're drinking four Cokes a day, yes. If you're drinking a Gatorade, a 16, 32-ounce Gatorade, every time you work out or your kid works out, yes, that's bad for you. Are you going to the coffee shop once a month or twice a week, well, I'm sorry, or once a week, and having – the flavored iced or hot coffee. If that's your thing and that's your one vice, it's not bad for you.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's well put. I think he took the kind of the broad, broad question and helped shape a couple different answers for the audience member. And then, um, I'm going to hit on a, uh, you touched on, on water. And I know there's been this misnomer about water too. Um, How much water does somebody need to drink a day? Is there a finite amount? Is it based on your body weight? I'm kind of adding to the
1: question. People, People, there's still the eight ounces of, eight glasses of eight ounces that circulate. I saw something recently on social media that assumed that was correct and said that's not even enough. Again, the book to read is Waterlogged by Dr. Tim Noakes. He'll give you all the chapter and verse research, but you drink to thirst. That uh, the, the, the phrase, it's a Latin phrase. It's ad libitum or ad libitum. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. It basically means to thirst. If you're thirsty, you should drink. If you're not thirsty, you're in the clear. And the old other way to know is urine test. If your urine is clear, you're good. If it looks like apple juice, you're probably a little dehydrated. Another, another thing people forget, Dave, there's you're never going to be a hundred percent hydrated in the scheme of being an active person, especially during a competition. The best athletes in the world function in a state of some some s- sort of dehydration. When you watch a marathon runner, those guys are not, and girls are not stopping and drinking six ounces of water or Gatorade, they're getting a mouthful and they're going because they realize they don't need it. They're trained to not need it. And it just is going to slow them down.
0: Yeah. I like that. Today's kids. I watch, uh, even when kids come to our practices, you know, two, two hour practices inside it's air conditioned. These, this is basketball now baseball. Obviously we're outside, but, uh, you know, they bring, they bring in these enormous jugs of water, like they're going to be stranded on a desert island for the next month, and yeah. I, I kind of laugh.
1: A lot of these kids bring the thing my mom used to bring with the beach to the beach for our family to have enough over the course of a day. These kids are bringing that individually for themselves.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of loud. and they're in like ninety ninety dollar uh, water jugs.
1: Yeah, they're Yetis.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> so no, it's uh, the, the youth today here. So on a uh, well, kind of on a similar note, uh, I know I don't know if they're still super popular now, but I I hear and see all these infomercials on cleanses and all these spas. Person asks, and it's it's one of those absolute questions. So we're going to have to tinker with it. Are cleanses dangerous, or how can cleanses be dangerous, and how are they healthy, if at all?
1: Your body has the mechanism to cleanse itself. It doesn't need a cleanse. That's again another marketing ploy. Designed to separate you from your money. There is no need to do a juice cleanse. If anything, those things can have short-term negative ramifications. There's never been an autopsy that has found this supposed toxic uh, substances in the body. There's not undigested meat in your bowel that or all the myths that have been pushed out since these products have come to the market. That's all nonsense. And none of those things have ever been proven by science that you need to detox. And we know your body can detox itself and is built to detox itself. Now we're not talking about the drug addict who's shut, whose system is shut down. We're talking about the average person who has crappy habits and thinks going on a juice cleanse is going to somehow reset their, metabolism or quote quote clean them out that's just nonsense drink water eat properly that's what fruits and vegetables can aid in and that's all you need to do to go on these juice cleanses or any of these other detoxification programs there's no science to support it okay
0: yeah those are very popular they, they, i see them on groupon all the time they'll sell you the 30-day cleanse package for uh God knows what. Usually, it looks like it's a big percentage off, but yeah, it is. It is marketed very well. No, I
1: understand there's a people who feel better if they feel like they, not to get into it, but they go to the bathroom regularly and they feel sometimes they're having a problem with it. The best thing to do in that case, and and if you're eating well, and sometimes I know people who travel and have to do other things that disrupts their system can have a problem, the The best, the best way you could feel like you've had a cleanse without going down that route is some of these digestive aids that can contain psyllium husks, that psyllium with the PSY, that is probably the best way to really give you a, a sense of being, a shot at being regular without going down the path of these ridiculous cleanses that aren't going to do anything.
0: Yeah. I know it gets mental for people. I know I've, I've, I've tried it before, maybe once or twice we did like a two week cleanse. It was hard. Like I, I was hungry. I wanted to eat. And I, first time I tried it, I think I lasted like half a day because I, I got to drink this little carrot thing again. It was uh redundant, but uh, yeah, a lot of the this it's, it's, it's as, you, as you, I like the phrase you used. It's the, uh, the virtue signaling of the nutritional world. I think that uh, probably sucked me in, in the marketing and, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of it anymore, but like every now and then my wife and I'll go have a, you know, one of those healthy juices. Um, and they have all these descriptions by it. Like this is the energy one. This is the one that'll cleanse you. This is the one that'll make your skin glow. Uh, what is that more marketing that, that we're falling for? Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah the, the, the caloric density of any of those Juices by themselves, uh, ju- it's not enough to make a difference. That's why what we've talked about in the past, there is no such thing as a superfood. Okay, those are that's a marketing term. And the foods that are the hot food of the month or the year, blueberries, kale, all of that, they have great nutritional profiles, but they don't have enough nutrition where you're going to make an appreciable difference by eating them. You'd have to eat a box car of blueberries or kale to to get the benefit of a can of sardines or eight ounces of a good steak.
0: Yeah. And the pricing of those things, too, I always laugh and say, I hope somebody's going to f- feed that to me with how much you have to pay for one of those. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so on a, uh, a workout note here, and I, we, you and I have never spoken about this. I have a few opinions on it, but um, they want to know, what are your opinions of CrossFit?
1: I think <clears throat> the CrossFit games are a very interesting spectacle, and it's a way to see some very high-level athletes that might have had or probably were very successful at one of the disciplines. It's a very interesting way to watch kind of a workout be a competition. I think short of that, it's a waste of time. Uh, I think as far as the average person goes, it. Doesn't really do much for you. I think most people are overmatched by it. There's an interesting story I'll tell you but What what I will I'll, I'll compare it to this. If you took your six favorite foods, Dave, uh, let's let's ask. Give me your four favorite. Could you give me four favorite foods? I'll
0: give you that. I'll go uh, shrimp, chicken, um, go rice and meatballs. How about that?
1: So. If you put that in a blender and mixed them up, it probably wouldn't be as good as they would be individually. Would you agree with me?
0: Yeah, I, I, I would. I've never tried it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree on that.
1: Right. So I, I, I like to compare CrossFit at the low level to that. You could take your favorite food: lobster, steak, chocolate cake, and pineapple juice. Those might be your four favorite things and put them in a blender. It's not going to be as good as those things are individually. That's the problem with CrossFit. You have people doing performing moves that they're not really doing the right way. Now, what what it's great for is it's great for building that culture of getting people to be out and active. But at the same time, I think there's I'm not a hater, but it's it's not the be all end all. And I'll tell you something interesting here, Dave, that kind of hurt the, let's call, I don't like to qualify things this way, but there was a movement from, quote, the legitimate side of strength and conditioning to denigrate CrossFit. And the National Strength and Conditioning Association is probably one of the two largest certifying organizations in the field, and they have a great reputation. Well, unfortunately... One of their past heads was involved with a scheme where they uh, forged data to show that CrossFit had a higher injury rate that really put them on the defensive. And to their credit, the owner of CrossFit sued and won, and they proved that this leader in the field, who was the head of the NSCA, had fraudulent a uh, fraud, fraudulently put forth information in the form of studies to show that there was a higher injury rate. So that probably wasn't reported as much as what you've br- brought up that is CrossFit good for you, or is CrossFit good or bad? I don't think it's great. I think you have to be very careful. But it certainly wasn't as bad from a injury standpoint as most people think, and a lot of people in my field think, would I do it? No. Do I recommend it? No. But if that's your thing and it gets you active, fine. Just don't you know, hurt yourself.
0: Yeah, they do have some compound movements in CrossFit that they take a look at and cringe a little bit. Um, yeah, because
1: those moves are not, in my opinion, meant to be done by the, I'm not going to say uninitiated, but by the lower level. Because it's very difficult to, to coach those things. And those exercises are usually done in isolation. And it's an interesting concept what they do. And there's something to it that I think is beneficial. But I think as with all of these disciplines, they go over the top. And I think you're at a point where the it's too much. And when you watch these CrossFit competitions, which are awesome, and those men and women are all in phenomenal shape, that's... Those are all people who were either very good weightlifters, gymnasts, wrestlers. They were really good at something and had experience with those disciplines.
0: Yeah, those are those are great points with that too. And much like our other stuff, uh, any anything that you're abusing or you're going above and uh, way above what you're supposed to be doing is going to be harmful. But uh, I'm kind of with you, and I and I uh, I guess a lot of movements are like that. But I almost saw it like the people that do it, it's almost cult-like, It um, is, you know, and it's, uh, I, that, that, that alone, I, I get kind of scared away with that type of stuff. So I probably haven't given it its just do and looked have looked at it with a little bit of a, you know, crooked eye, but, uh, but anyway, that's, I, I wanted to get your, I, I was curious on that one myself with it. Okay. Here's, here's uh, another
1: Well, I'm real quick, what I compare it to, we talked about, I think last week, the if you're doing it because you love it it's I, I look at it almost like golf if you know if you're one of these golfers that go out and yet you're a hacker you're a duffer you go out on the weekends you play a little bit and you you kind of keep it to yourself you know you're going to stink but you still have fun that's great but to go you know 36 holes you play all the time you tell everybody what you do you tell everyone about shots no one cares about it that's where it becomes i get i turn off the same way with that with the golfer, that's crazy, as I do with that CrossFitter or the vegan. That's always got to tell you they're a vegan. Yeah,
0: no, that's a great parallel to it. So we, we've got another question here. Um, it seems a little bit loaded. I'm assuming this is from somebody who may be overweight, but they want to know, is it possible, which probably the answer is yes without me asking a question because everything's possible, but maybe we can kind of script their question for them. The way they re- wrote it was, can you be fit and overweight?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, it depends on what your overweight is. You can't obviously – and what's your defi- – so let's let's backtrack a bit. But, yes, I would say yes. I would say what's your definition of fit? What's your definition of overweight? So we have some parameters here you could jiggle around with, pun intended. And I think ultimately you could because who's to say – that if your weight is stable, that's that's a good sign. You know, if you have the person that someone is gonna say, Oh, they're overweight, they're probably thirty pounds overweight. But if they've been that weight for a long period of time and they haven't gone up and down, the yo-yo dieting is way worse for you. So, yes, I would say yes. Yeah, so I think
0: that one a key point you hit on which I like, I wasn't thinking about that, but somebody who's who's been living and existing at a certain weight. Now, if they're a hundred pounds overweight, that's another story. But, um, but that person that's been based on the charts, 15 pounds, 10, 15 pounds overweight, but they, they've lived that way. That's, that's a good sign for them as opposed to, as you're saying, that person that drops 10 below 10 above constantly, that's unhealthy for your, I would, I would guess your metabolism.
1: If, if, if the answer, or if the question was, can you be a smoker and be fit? I would say no, but, You can be obese, you could be, I don't want to say obese, you could be heavy and not have the same risks. If you're heavy and smoking, no, you can't. If you're heavy and you still eat good food and you just love to eat, is it bad? It's not bad because really, again, that's another area, Dave, where the research doesn't back up what we've been told, that this overweight group of people has a shortened life span it's actually the opposite if you look for look at people did i lose you nope i'm right here if i sorry i had a weird message come up if if you look at people uh if you look at people's weight and it doesn't change and if you look at their eating habits that's going to be more important again if it's the person who loves to eat but is not going fast food not having tons of diet sodas and, or uh, sodas and not putting processed foods in their system, then it's totally possible.
0: Well, we've got our, we've got our, our senior audience here have posed a question for you. They want to know, and it's pretty general. What are some, some of the best exercises for seniors to do? And I guess seniors would be what 70 and above.
1: You're, no, well, I guess in, I think you're a senior citizen at 65. Okay. There's, there's no exercises that, are any better for a senior than they are for a a 14-year-old. What I would say is you need to be on your feet and not be in equipment. We talked about this last week with the Smith machine as the whipping boy, but the classic workout of leg extension, leg curl, hip adduction, hip abduction, leg press, seated press in a machine, chest press in a machine, those are garbage for everybody, and it's even more garbage for seniors because you want to be on your feet. You want to challenge your nervous system. The legs aren't the first thing to go, which is the old adage in sports. It's your nervous system is the first thing to go. The lack of strength in your legs and possibly mobility is a manifestation of a nervous system that's on the wane. You can always bring that back. There's been research done I believe it was in the '70s. it might have even been before that, and I believe it was the Finn uh, in Finland. It was one of the uh, one of, uh, it was either Finland, Norway. They did research on senior citizens who had been sedentary in nursing homes and had remarkable turnarounds with people in their 70s and 80s by just introducing some very basic strength training and some very basic movement uh, work on their feet. So you have to be on your feet. If you have, and this is for anybody, if any of you are out there and you have a trainer, excuse me, and they put you on a piece of equipment, your leg day is, not that you should have a leg day, but people still do that. If your leg day is leg extensions, leg curls and the like, it's time to find a new trainer.
0: You 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 got that Yeti by you?
1: I have my bottle of Deer Park water.
0: and <laughs> the, the, the ninety ounce yeti. Yes. Um, yeah, and no, I, I so with I I'm a big fan of mobility. I I do mobility. I would I would classify my workouts as more mobility than anything else. And I you know I'm I'm 50 and I get on people when they'll say like ah oh, I can't reach something in the cupboard right now my shoulder and my question out I sometimes I say it out loud because I lack a filter I'm like why is that acceptable. Why is the lack of mobility to reach something on the third shelf of your cover or your cupboard because of your shoulder? Why is that acceptable? And I get people have had injuries and and whatnot, so I'm not banging on that. But um, over time, when you stop moving, you lose mobility, right? I mean, that's pretty
1: obvious. Yeah, that's the vicious cycle. You have pain, so you lose some range of motion which then creates more pain when you try to do something which makes you lose more range of motion and you get to the point where like you said you can't reach up to grab something off the shelf you can't pour a pitcher with one hand or overhanded because your wrist elbow forearm whatever has sustained an injury that you haven't addressed your shoulder again that the shoulder mobility in men and uh, young, I see it. It's a, it's a shame. I see it in young kids all the time because of their workout programs. It's just leading to all these other problems. And and people always look at things as not connected when all your mobility issues are connected. If your shoulder doesn't work right, your hips not working right, which means everything below that is also screwed up. We could do a whole show on that too, Dave.
0: And uh, that was one of the that was one of the things I wrote down for future was. Because your shoulders is can be one of your most mobile uh, body parts in terms of its, its range of motion. And it's funny with baseball how that's the thing that's probably abused, misused, um, poorly uh, poorly trained as, as any other body part. So definitely we want to do something on that. That could be our topic next week. Well, guess-
1: real quickly, I've had baseball players come to me and the shoulder range of motion scale I use is on a scale of three being the best to zero being pain. But three, two, one—you could be a three, have good mobility, but have pain. You're a zero. A lot of my threes also were zeros because they have pain. But you'd be shocked to see how many baseball players that I get with ones and twos on their throwing side. So it's a it's a big problem. Yeah, in
0: baseball, like most sports, people tend to overuse whatever their strong side is, so it creates that imbalance as well. Um, this 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 question now—I I actually had to look at it twice, and I. Started typing a note back saying this is not that's this kind of site, but then I reread it. It said, uh, how does Coach Sal feel about these niche type of workouts? CrossFit was in there as well, but they put CrossFit pole dancing bar yoga. Are these niche type of workouts? So they do they hold a certain significance in people's development, or is it uh you know, kind of one of those no harm, no fouls, just get out and move?
1: Yeah, so I, I think, think it's it's I think temperament is a big, a big part of determining what you want to do. If if you want yoga, that's great. I don't, you know, th- this is kind of a weird analogy, but George Carlin, who was my, one of my favorite comedians had this line about religion is like a lift in your shoe. If you need it, you use it, but you don't want to nail the lift to people's feet. And I feel the same way about these different exercise philosophies the yoga is great pilates is great if you want to do pole dancing there's a new generation of this that i've seen on on social media you're an athlete if you're doing that so if you're out, go go to a dance class if that's what you like all of those things are great if that's good for you that's good i train the way i train because it resonates with me i make my res- recommendations But I also say to some people, you should try Pilates, you should try some yoga, but none of them are panaceas. What I do isn't a panacea. It's an important part of your overall. But a lot of the things you need to do, yoga does for you. If you don't want to go and get into how you should be more mobile, that's something that interests me. So I do a lot of the things that are very close to yoga-ish without the trappings of that without the eastern philosophical bent that yoga has pilates is similar too. where i worked in the city Dave, when i first started uh back in the 80s was was in the hotbed of where the actual pilates originator was and at the time you were not allowed to use the term pilates unless you were affiliated with the pilates studio that was part of the joseph pilates lineage we had someone that came from that but couldn't call herself a Pilates instructor. She was a movement specialist. So all of those things are important, but none of them on their own, in my opinion, are enough. I think you should always have variety. Yeah.
0: That was actually one of the other questions, the importance of variety. So you hit on a, another question. I want to make sure that audience member feels loved for uh, throwing that in there. So we got got two more for you if you got time. They, yeah. quick. Uh, question is asked. What are some of the best exercises to build abs?
1: You don't need to worry about abs too much. Everyone has abs. If you did not have abs, you would be in a puddle on the floor. Uh, The other analogy or the other example I use of that, we hear a lot in my field. And some of you, if you're an athlete or have had some experience with Going to even PT or having an injury, your glutes aren't firing. That's one of the other nonsensical terms. If your glutes weren't firing, you'd be, again, unable to move. The, unfortunately, peoples who, people whose glutes don't fire are spinal cord injury patients who are in wheelchairs. So your abs are there. You need to do very little to develop your abs. You could not sit up straight if you didn't have the musculature necessary. The six pack comes from diet. It doesn't come from exercise. It's it's probably twenty. I'm, I'm being generous on the twenty percent exercise. It might even be less exercise, and it's the rest of it is diet. And one of the main main ports uh, main points about having a, a good midsection, Dave, is posture. If you have lousy posture, if you slouch, you're going to have that punch, that distension or that forward thrust in your abdomen. If you have good posture, sit upright. Here's another thing that dates me. I was in school, in my junior high school, we actually had an etiquette teacher, that's how old I am, who we worked on posture in our typing class. So how's that for a time warp of educational experiences? I was in school at a time where I both had typing and posture in the same class. But that's something that stuck with me, and that's something that I use to this day in my instruction when it comes to sprinting. So your abs are a function more than any exercise of posture, where you have to physically work at sitting upright and diet.
0: Yeah, I like that. It certainly turns back the clock. I, I uh, picture the lady with the glasses. With a little chain hanging on it, so they don't fall off her neck. Teaching your class—that's
1: who she was. That's exactly what she looked like.
0: The prototypical, and the movie. And, and
1: the other thing, Dave: that any abdominal exercise that people want to do, let's real quick, we could dispel this. There's no such thing as core. That's nonsense because there's muscles that cross joints. That your core, if you want to talk about a core, if you're talking about your mid back, right below, right at your shoulder blades, down to you know, your hamstrings, back of your knee, we could talk about that as being your core. Your core is not limited to the six-pack and obliques that people want to focus on. And if you're standing up, if you're if you're laying down or in a machine doing abs, you're not doing anything that's going to have any functional benefit. You have to figure out ways to do abdominal exercises standing, which we can do, but we don't have video right now. So one day, Dave, we can do a video cast on uh, standing abs.
0: I'll tell you that my my favorite ab exercise, and I don't do it for abs, but I still, I still shoot every day. It's kind of my, uh, I joke with my wife. It's, I'm not trying to hit the center of the basket. I'm trying to hit the center of me. It's my way of kind of. It's my yoga, I guess. I don't take a lot of shots, but I, but I also hit every day. Still, I take a certain number of swings, righty, certain lefty, and hitting a baseball is the best ab or swinging a bat is to me is one of the best ab exercises going.
1: Well, it is. There's your your entire body is is focused on hitting that ball and your entire body is producing the movement and your middle because of the rotation is being stressed to the point where it's a good thing.
0: Yeah. And I I do it both, both ways. I always been a switch batter, but, um, but it helps keep the balance, but it it does. It incorporates your, your glutes, your, your legs, your, your arms. But, uh, my wife always actually is like, that's from just swinging us against. it's I said I'm not doing it for abs. I kind of, but the resistance against the ball too. I don't care if you're hitting a, you know, a tennis ball, a wiffle ball, whatever. But the hard ball, that resistance, it kind of, it almost flexes the abs when you're hitting it, um, to to protect. But so I got got one more question for you, and this is a uh, a personal question, I guess, from the audience member. But audience wants to know what does Coach Sal listen to when he works out?
1: Oh well, you know what? I have grew up in a, a family. Of, my dad was a musician, so I grew up listening to not rock and roll and not traditional pop music. It wasn't until I was in high school, junior high school, where I started to listen to some more stuff on my own. So I listened to anything from Count Basie and Frank Sinatra to electronic dance music to stuff from the 80s. I think at my age, I grew up and had opportunities to hear and listen to some of the best music that's been produced, whether it was in the jazz field, whether it was the rock and roll of the 70s with all those and the 60s, even with all those classic groups and got to see some of them and into the different kind of areas of whether it's, you know, when I remember when the first rap song was the Sugar Hill Gang, if anyone doesn't know what that is, you should go back and listen to that and realize that's what started this hip hop craze that has really taking over pop music. So I'll listen to pretty much anything.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think people use the music to get themselves motivated. And I'll ask this question for you. Uh, for me, this is my selfish question of the show. But on that same note, um, there's days we all feel like we don't want to work out. I mean, I'm in one of those days today and I'm going to make sure I do it. What kind of self-talk, I don't mean to go, uh, you know, matchbook psycho guru on you, but what kind of self-talk do you recommend or what what do you do when there's days where you don't want to work out
1: uh, some days I don't it depends on what my goal is for that period of time. What I've tried to do, Dave is do something of of thirty minutes at least five times a week, which the older you get, the harder it is to really do it all out so there'll be weeks where I like where the weather when the weather gets great like it is now, I'll go outside and I'll do a workout that's based on my sprint routine that I do with my clients. But if I do that, I need to then gear down for the next couple of days, if not take a day off right after that, or do a movement only. So the one thing I will say about the Apple Watch that I think is good is it tracks your your exercise time. And even though I don't think it's needed, it's a good way to kind of, get me to say, okay, I, I'm not going to go crazy. And you know what, Dave, sometimes everything I do is at a pretty high intensity, whether it's some of the explosive coordination stuff you've seen on my Instagram, or just because I'll do a circuit. I do a lot of work with the sledgehammer. Your, my heart rate, I do a lot of work on my uh, my assault bike, which is the air. It's like an airdyne. It's got the, the fan as the front wheel. So many of my workouts, I'm always out of breath. There's some days I say, you know what, I want to work out today and not be huffing and puffing. So I mentally go through all different things. And at the end of the day, I have to realize if I've done four or five workouts in a week, and in that week, I might say, geez, I don't really feel like I have it today. I'll I'll bag it.
0: Yeah. I've gotten better at that too. I used to be, uh, I get myself, I had to be at a certain time. I scheduled it, um, the entire thing. And I've gotten to a point where there's days where, you know, like you said, it could be counterproductive doing it. But that's for people now. Again, the audience members, you're talking to two very motivated people in terms of working out, in terms of their lifestyle, in terms of their health. If you're on the other end of that spectrum where you're not motivated and, you know, you need to get up, you got to get up and do something. You can't, you don't have the, uh, in my opinion anyway, you haven't uh, afforded yourself the luxury of uh, taking too many days off. You've taken a lot of days off up to this time to get to that point. So, um, you again I kind of want to remind that not to put ourselves up on a, a pedestal of some sort but um, I would I would safe to say you would agree with that very motivated that's your lifestyle it's your business and uh you know be be uh, be judicious if you are disciplined but I like consistency more um, yeah
1: I mean the, the the three day a week four day a week is great you, we've been sold this bill of goods that you have to destroy yourself you know you watch these nike commercials and gatorade commercials and these sneaker commercials and and it it, it makes people feel that if you're not going out there balls to the wall excuse my language pedal to the metal you're not doing anything worthwhile and i think that's just a bad message i think the slow and steady wins the race to use the cliche yeah
0: I'm, i'm guilty of that myself um in my younger years especially and I probably took years off my playing career because of it. Because I, my motto was I, I didn't want to leave anything. When I was done with the day, I, went, I didn't want anything left over because I felt that was lost forever. And that's not necessarily true. And uh, probably again took years off of my professional playing career because of that. But also, I think I'm a smaller guy who you know wasn't gifted with size or natural strength. So I think that mentality to a certain degree got me the opportunities. But I, I you know, there's that law of diminishing return with everything.
1: Well, one of my mentors has a phrase that one workout won't get you in shape but one workout could ruin your career so to speak and 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 think about that you can have a workout that is so over the top and i've known people that have done this whether it was in a crossfit style setting or just they've gone they went out and they pushed it and either they blew something out in their back they they tore a hamstring they suffered another injury that had them on the shelf and, and forever impacted the way they were able to train, that's that's very true. And that's what happens when you go out some days and you don't feel like you have it mentally. And that's a reflection of how your body is going to respond. So you got to be careful. And, again, if you're working out on a consistent basis, missing that one session is not going to hurt you. And, actually, Dave, what I will end with here is that's why it's good to have a day off when you feel great. it's not a day off if your back hurts or if you have the flu or if your allergies are bad or if you have a stomach ache. That is, you need time to recover from whatever it is you've got ailing you. So you need to take a day off when you're a hundred percent.
0: I like that advice. I I don't think I've ever heard that. And that's that's great knowledge for me. I, I like when I get smarter. With the show,
1: so just one. It goes with the idea of nutrition. If you, if you're really good, and and by the way, anyone who has the uh, opportunity to get their body composition done should do that and get away from the scale because the scale is just a number. It's not really telling you anything valuable about your. Fitness level and and how you've been eating and exercising. Dave, it's almost like if you looked at your bank account and someone said, Oh, he's got a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. He must be doing great. But on the other end of it, his expenses are ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-five dollars. So he could have all the money and he's got five bucks left. It's the same thing with your with your body composition. If your weight is what you think is a good number, but your body fat number is higher than it should be, then that weight on the scale means nothing. It's the it's the body composition that's important.
0: Well, I like that. That's a great way to end it. And you, you did, without me having to ask, you gave some book recommendations um, for the audience. I think Waterlogged by, by uh, was it Noakes, Tom I Noakes?
1: Yeah, I, I brought that up. Uh, it's a great book.
0: Yeah, so Waterlogged is the book recommendation for me. So I'll fire that up on Kindle after the show here. But uh, Sal, great show again as usual. Um, you gave your parting shot, so I did not have to ask that. And so, how how did you like the questions from the audience? That's something we want to continue.
1: Absolutely, the, the, the because I want to respond to what people want to hear, and then that gives me the opportunity to go into some avenues that are related that hopefully will help people.
0: And next week, I want to get into the shoulders. I, I think that's a great topic, especially with baseball blowing out so many um, so many shoulders and all these Tommy John injuries. We got all the research that's piling into the show. I got people funneling me stuff like crazy. Um, But we'd love to get your opinion on it as well. And and of course, we can go into some other stuff the audience wants to hear. But um, with that, we've got episode 193, The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. Uh, Reminders to our audience, we appreciate the questions today. We get tons of them. So we'll start using more, incorporating more of them in our shows. We'll have a segment for it rather than just hearing my answer back every day. 18,300 subscribers. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. You do that we can keep giving you great content like we did today with coach sal apple amazon spotify stitcher are our streaming devices make sure you tune into those facebook instagram or twitter is how you can engage the show you can get coach sal on instagram he shows a lot of his great workouts there 72 countries grassroots to mlb front offices so we've got the ear of all the people that matter um we want more though we want to hear, hear more voices out there we're all just trying to build a better baseball iq i know i get smarter with every show and Again, our audience is the one that created this, so I promised I'd read this at the end, but we're reminding everybody that tunes in and prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths about baseball, about nutrition, fitness, life, um, because this program, like all of our others, just has no time for some of the uncomfortable lies being pushed out there. So we will challenge things head on here. So buckle up every show. Sal, thanks so much for a great show, bud.
1: Thank you, Dave. Look forward to next week.
0: Have a great week.